0: This band has been awesome today, led by these college young people and college graduates. Amen. Thank you, David, and that beautiful song that goes perfectly with what I want to say this morning with the Lord's help. Um, but we welcome all of you to Eastlake. Those in the chapel, we welcome you. We welcome our church in Toronto, Ontario, is with us this morning. Would you help me and welcome them this morning? And uh, those of you online, we welcome you, and I want to make an announcement. This is for everybody that can hear this, so uh, I'll let you decide whether it's relevant. And if you're in Toronto and you want to do this announcement, that'd be great. My, our daughter is getting married on Saturday at 4 o'clock. I hired a son-in-law five years ago, <laughs> and it took him three and a half years to figure it out. But Nathan, uh, who was up here earlier, my da- our daughter Allison, will be getting married Saturday at 4. And we just want you to know you're all welcome to come at 4 o'clock at Hales Ford Baptist Church if, you're wel- if you want to do that. If you're wanting to come to the reception, just let the office know or let me know or let my wife know or somehow figure it out. With We're not hard to find in this day of technology, but you can let us know uh, that is an RSVP event. So uh, we'd love to have you join us for the wedding at 4 or the reception following uh, if you would like to. So I just want to let you all know that. I'm trying to figure out what Nathan's got to call me after next Saturday. I'm thinking Pastor Dad. <laughs> and then he could just call me PD for short, instead of PT. But anyways, uh, he didn't go for that at all when I joked around that. Actually, I said that. I said something else at eight, and somebody came up after and said, Pastor Dad would be good, and I told him I was going to use it the rest of the day. So I've been using that several times, Uh, but you guys laughed like you'd never heard it because you hadn't, so that was cool. I'm having a wonderful time studying the Word of God, trying to understand who Jesus is, and I got news for you. The more you know about Jesus, and the closer you get to Jesus, and the more you understand about Jesus, the more you're going to love Him, and worship Him, and adore Him, because He is so lovely and so wonderful and so true so we're in matthew's gospel chapter five jesus is giving us the new rules i'm actually working on something for that i'm speaking in uh, july on a cruise and they want the theme to be new 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 so i said new rules this is one of my uh not this lesson but but this concept so josh you'll be uh, maybe i don't know if you'll be there or not but uh well you can have this now then uh Jesus is giving new rules, new righteousness, new systems of governance. He says all the kingdoms of the world are going to come and they're going to fade away. But I'm going to establish a kingdom and it's never going to fade away. And, he, and the Beatitudes, as I've said, and we'll look at this little list of things that I, that I say about the Beatitudes that help us understand them. If you'll throw that up there for me, Jacori. Uh, The beatitudes are blessed, 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 eight times, eight blessings. It means joy and contentment. It means genuine. You are going to be genuinely happy under the full favor of God. How many of you want to live like that this morning? Ah, You'd have to be stupid not to say that, right? Jesus said, "This is these are the people," and it was totally countercultural. Everything that was going on. Aren't you glad that we're not the first ones to live in a world that are called to live according to principles that don't go with the society? Sometimes they go, Wow, this world's so terrible, and it's just awful living in these days. Trust me, living in some of those days wasn't good either. They were chopping your heads off for being a Christian, all right? So, I got news for you. The truth of God's word and, and, and the principles of Christianity have always been countercultural to the prince of the power of the air. And we just happen to be living in this application. And Jesus was speaking in radical terms. And, and, and it, he put these things together like a chain. You can't pick and choose. You start at the beginning and you work your way through these. These are inside out principles. They're things that go on in the heart. Had a good conversation with one of our technical guys this morning after one of the services. And he said, you know, Troy said, I've really been working on God helping me not only act a certain way but my heart be in alliance with my actions. Because however, how many of you have ever been sitting down on the outside but standing up on the inside? You know what I'm talking about? And he said, I'm trying to ask the Lord to help me. And it was a great conversation and a powerful truth. And Jesus is talking about inside-out principles. And the focus of all of this is that he will help his children, his followers, live a life that will bring glory to God. What a What a sobering question is to ask ourselves, does my life bring glory to God? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so we're looking at the fifth beatitude this morning. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And this morning we look at blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I have a question for you. What is the very first righteous thing that is evidenced in our life when we become a member of the kingdom of God? The answer on the screen, I know, or will be. According to Jesus, and this has been... I just quoted a few, jacori and left you in the dust. Sorry, bud. According to Jesus, and this is a new revelation for me. According to Jesus, the Beatitudes are our connected chain. You come into the kingdom of God through the brokenness of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they get to come into the kingdom of God. And then we weep and mourn and repent... He gives us a meek and a gentle spirit and then all of a sudden after he's cleansed us from sin he starts giving us a hunger for righteousness. By the way, can I just say that you'll never hunger after righteousness until you've repented of sin. You'll never have a genuine hunger. And so Jesus, we come into the door of the kingdom through the brokenness of spirit and the repentance and mourning in our spirit and then he changes our disposition and he gives us hunger for righteousness and the first thing, the first outward act of righteousness in Jesus' list of new governing principles, the first thing is how we view and treat other people. I didn't write it. I just found it and tried to discover it. But Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the hunger and thirst after righteousness, verse 7, because they start going to church every week, and they start volunteering, and they start giving money. and they st-. No, he said, blessed are the hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied, and they'll be merciful, and they will receive mercy. And it's the first outward act of righteousness in the list of the Beatitudes. The first thing—that's an interesting, interesting thought to me. These countercultural governing principles of the kingdom that Jesus has come to set up. As I said, Jesus was working in a world with no mercy; they didn't believe in mercy. In the world that he was living in and teaching this to, it was—it was. It was uh, I've mentioned it in, in this series already, but I wanted to put it on the screen for you this morning to give you the give you the contrast between the way the the Romans and the Greeks and the Jews lived. The Romans were militarily ruthless. One Roman philosopher said, "Mercy is a disease of the soul." And the Romans rode into your village and pillaged and destroyed you. They they ruled by force and torture and brutality. They didn't believe in mercy. And Jesus, is, they thought the gods were blessing them when they were conquering everybody. I wonder if there's any Romans here this morning. The Jews were intellectual elitist. Like those people in Washington and New York and Los Angeles. I had some folks from those places in the other services. So anybody from there this morning, we love you. But is that not the world we the The, the Greeks, they were philosophical. They had the great thinkers and the great writers. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians that the cross, the despised, lowly, humble, embarrassing, shameful cross to the Greeks is foolishness. And the Greeks weren't merciful. No, they weren't brutal like the Romans, but they weren't merciful. They looked at people condescendingly. "Eh, You're not like we are. You're not as smart as I am. I wonder if we're having Greeks here this morning. And then there were the Jews who were religious legalists. They, they, they weren't into mercy. They weren't into mercy at all. They were into the law. And if you didn't obey the law, we'll hold you to the law. And, and they, they drug a lady one day. They drug her right up to Jesus and dropped her. All the leaders in the Jewish, and said, Lord, we caught her in the very act of adultery, and the, and the, and the law says we should stone her. They were legalists. One day Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath of, of a withered hand. And they said, well, he's evil. He's not a good man. He healed him. And it was on the Sabbath. He picked the wrong day. They were, they were not, they didn't know mercy. And the blessing of God to them was keeping all the rules. And they held everybody to that ridiculous standard, although they were hypocrites. Jesus called them that on many occasions. He said, actually, said, on the outside, you're, a, you're a beautiful like a whitewashed tomb, but on, on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And Jesus is giving us this new ideal that if you're going to be in the king, the Romans are going to fall away, the Greeks are going to diminish and in influence the Jewish nation is getting ready to be destroyed in 70 AD. And Jesus said, but my kingdom, of my kingdom, there's never going to be an end. In my kingdom, if you want to be blessed by God, blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And it was totally, totally challenging to those that were there. William Barclay said, a Christless world is a calloused world, and mercy has never been a characteristic of pagan life. But it was the way that Jesus, it's the way that Jesus taught. What is, what is this mercy that Jesus was talking about? I want to just give you a simple definition and then just sort of mention a couple things. Jesus said, be merciful. We, I don't want to insult you this morning. All of us understand what mercy is, correct? So Bradley, if you run over my mailbox and it cost me $250 to put it up. Then mercy says, Bradley, you know what? Your wife's going to Dominican. We're raising money to help her get that. By the way, we're going to help you with that. And, and we don't want you have to spend $250 on my mailbox. Don't worry about it. That's mercy, right? I got bad news, though. I got three neighbors that are on the same pole. They may not be merciful, but anyways. <laughs> no, mercy is saying you don't have to do what you should do, deservingly negative, right? By the way, the difference between mercy and grace is mercy saying, Brad, you don't have to pay the 250 bucks. Grace is here, Brad, here's a thousand bucks. Thanks for running over my mailbox. Okay? Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. Does that make any sense? But that's so we all understand that idea of mercy, but but this this term mercy, according to Adam Clark. It's among the Jews, and the word that Jesus was using, it signified two things. It signified not only the pardon of injury, he has injured me, and I'm going to forgive him. So it didn't only deal with this matter of forgiveness, it dealt with the compassion and the pity and the treatment of those who were in misery. Didn't you love that song they just sang? Help me to love like you do. Lord, regardless of who they are, and this, this is the concept of mercy that Jesus taught it means full of pity it's compassionate, it is kindness especially as extended to the lowly the needy and the miserable it's looking upon someone of a miserable estate and being moved with compassion to where you engage with them and some way help them, that's what he's talking about, so it's sort of a two pronged thing, it's, it's forgiving Brad for running over my mailbox and helping somebody who's in a really dire and desperate situation, Erasmus said this about mercy Uh, the merciful are those who through brotherly love account another person's misery their own who weep over the calamities of others who out of their own property feed the hungry, clothe the naked who admonish those that are in error inform the ignorant, pardon the offending and who in short use their utmost endeavors to relieve and comfort others does that make any sense? Clarence Jordan said in a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, the merciful, if they have any money, don't give until it hurts, they give until it's gone. It's defending the law of God. It's connected to an Old Testament principle that is defending the law of mercy, is defending the law of God, which is love your neighbor, more than defending the law of to protect yourself, which is our natural instinct. And so mercy says, the Bible says, love your neighbor. And so Brad has got a wife going on a missions trip. And I'm going to be more concerned about Brad's scenario than I am. own. Oh, I'm going to have mercy. It's seeing that. It's defending the law of God to love your neighbor. Everybody still with me this morning? Jesus was merciful. And he's teaching us, his followers, that if you're going to be in my kingdom, the first evidence of that is going to be that you're going to show mercy. I want you to watch this two-and-a-half-minute video real quick that helps us understand it.
1: Are you merciful? Why? Because Jesus healed the sick. Because Jesus fed the multitudes, because Jesus gave legs to the crippled, because Jesus granted sight to the blind, because Jesus opened the ears of the deaf, because Jesus found prostitutes and tax collectors and drew them into the sphere of his love, because Jesus touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable and forgave the unforgivable and welcomed the undesirable, because Jesus even now saves the otherwise unsavable. Why? Because they deserve it and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because we met him halfway, not because we took the proper steps forward and in good faith have elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor, but according to his mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. We are here because Jesus Christ didn't say with cold indifference, give them what they deserve, they brought it on themselves. Christ is the mercy of God. And seeing us in our misery and need, he doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary action to relieve our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? how then is it possible to experience it and not display it? It isn't possible. You haven't experienced it if you don't display it. The evidence of God's mercy in your life isn't determined by how much theology you know, by how many books you read, but by your active goodness to people in
0: 't it so Jesus' mercy might on your list or my list in the in the in the catechism of the church of the Christian life might be somewhere in chapter ten, but Jesus is stepping right into the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is going to be like and he says you're going to come into the door of poverty and brokenness of spirit you're going to weep and mourn over your sin I'm going to make you meek and gentle I'm going to give you a hunger to be like me and the first way you're going to be like me is you're going to see people like I see them let's talk about it for just a minute mercy is a response to the mercy of God there's something about this mercy that is instinctive When you have experienced it. We've noticed how these verses. And I've mentioned it several times throughout this series. I've noticed how these verses are connected together. And I've mentioned it this morning. But Jesus says the first evidence that you have been through grace. And repentance. And faith. And the first evidence that you're hungry to be like Jesus. Is how you treat and view other people. Particularly those who have wronged you. Particularly those who can do nothing for you. Those who are weak or, or powerless or miserable or sick or, or afflicted in some way. How you treat those people, Jesus said, is the first determinant of whether or not you're in the kingdom. Now these were new principles that Jesus were, was introducing. It was, it was, they were not principles that had expiration. This was the way the kingdom was going to be ordered. When we are truly in the kingdom, we begin to hunger like Jesus. And the first bite He gives to satisfy our appetite is mercy. When we see ourselves in the light of Him and in the light of our own sin, and we know that we are in need of great mercy, He says, now I want you who have experienced and tasted mercy, I want you to in turn, I want you to give mercy to those around you. I I want to make this simple note this morning. In the reading of this verse, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It sounds like we're the instigators, doesn't it? You want want mercy? Be merciful. It sounds like we're the instigators, but I want you to know that we're not the instigators of mercy, because long before verse 7, the mercy of God was in our life. God is the instigator of mercy. It is by His great love and mercy that He has saved us. So when it comes to mercy, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And it's just in between as we have received his great, the greatest motivation for mercy is not the promise of future mercy. It's the possession of mercy in the past. If I, uh, Bradley, I'm going to use you again in my little illustration. This is a good one. You get a new car on this story. So what'd you drive here today? Ford Explorer. Same as the last dude. Uh, so you go out there to your Ford Explorer, it's gone, as soon as church is over, and the, uh, the uh, owner of the Mercedes dealership in Roanoke, which I don't know his name because I don't shop there, uh, he, is, uh, he is standing in your spot with a brand new Mercedes SUV. What those cost? 50000 150000 somewhere between there? All right, don't say because then I'll know you shop there, but anyways... It's all right. It's totally good. Uh, But anyway, so he's standing with a brand new SUV. He says, hey, Brad, you know what, man, dude? Your wife's going on a missions trip. Here's a new car. I'm tying that a lot. We need to raise some money for her. But anyways, (laughs) Uh, just free. It's yours. And we towed your other vehicle down to the house. You can do whatever we want with it. It's a good day, isn't it? And Brad goes home and says, you know, honey, we probably ought to sell that Explorer. Got this new SUV uh, and puts it out in the front yard. For $10,000. This afternoon somebody pulls up and says, hey, I'd like to buy that car, but, you know, my wife and I, we've been having a hard time. She's got cancer. She's sick. We don't, we, all we've got is $8,000. How many of you believe Brad would say, you know what? Today, you can have for $8,000. How many of you believe he'd do that? How many of you think he's a miser? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> somebody gives you a seventy-five dollars or $100,000 vehicle and you don't you don't even have to be, you don't have to go talk to Shelly. Because if somebody says, you know, all I got is 8,000, you're going to say, man, dude, you, 6,000, let's make a deal. Because there's something about receiving mercy that motivates mercy. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. If I'm having a hard time viewing other people, if I'm really super unmerciful to others, it may be an indicator that I am at least not grateful for the mercy I received and maybe I've not received the mercy that I really need. I've, I, I, I realized in the first service this was going to be a quiet sermon and I'm totally comfortable with that. You see, God is the first to show mercy and it's because of His mercy That we in turn show mercy to us. It's a response. One evidence that you have received it. Is that you're giving it. You cannot give what you do not have. And William Barclay said. Nowhere do we imitate God more than when we show mercy. And in nothing does God delight in more than our expression of mercy. Can you, this is a great theologian who said, nowhere do you imitate God more than when you show mercy. Think about that. The God, the sovereign creator, holy, pure, righteous God of the universe, stooped to our level, took all of our blame, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our punishment. He took it upon himself and let us go free. And somehow this gets disjointed as, a, as, a, as a, 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 a fringe characteristic of the Christian. Going to church or doing this or doing that is more, more being a Christian. No, no, Jesus said, no, this, this issue is right at the front door. When you walk into the kingdom, the first thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to look around and all of a sudden you're going to view people, particularly those who have wronged you and those who are in misery and in desperate need, you're going to view them like I view them. It's a powerful thought. It's, it's the response. Mer- mercy is the response to God's mercy. It's an, can I just say this? It's, it's, it's in some ways an instinct, a spiritual instinct with a qualification, and I'll give that to you now. Because mercy, secondly, is a requirement in the kingdom of God. Lest we misunderstand and believe that mercy is automatic, because all of us are sitting here thinking about how we viewed that guy with a cardboard sign on the, on the ramp. And if it's purely instinctive, and we've all fallen below that standard at some point, haven't we? I'll get back to him in a minute. But lest we think it is simply automatic, we should understand that Jesus makes the treatment of others, particularly those who've wronged us and those who are in misery, a key mandate in the kingdom of God. In this way, mercy is not just a spiritual instinct, it is a spiritual discipline. Now, some people's personality and and, and physiological makeup lends itself so being more grace some people are more uh, are a little more inclined to be more hard-nosed and, and but but so but I'm not talking about personalities I'm saying that Jesus says to everyone who's going to be in his kingdom I want you to view people like I view them and for some people, it comes a little easier. Some people, because of circumstances or, or, or their makeup, it's a little more difficult, but it doesn't matter. It becomes for us a spiritual discipline. Five years from now, when you go to sell another car, you're probably not going to be as de- generous. Unless you predetermine by the, I'm going to always make it a point in my life. And the reality is that Jesus speaks this in verse number 7, but he has a whole lot more to say about it in this sermon And in his teaching throughout the Gospels. Look at these verses in Matthew chapter 6. He says when you pray, pray like this. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's the expectation. He says in verse 14 of Matthew 6. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. He's, He's talking now about a lifestyle. Not an emotion. Brad's going to give away that car for 6,000 bucks on emotion. But he's talking about a lifestyle that determines that I'm going to live this way. In Matthew 7, same sermon. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What is he saying? He's saying, I want you to live mercifully. Matthew 9, he says, go and learn what this means. He says to the uh, Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy. You guys are running around here performing all these rituals and rules. And you're, you're arguing at me in Matthew 9. They were accusing him of sitting around with sinners. And he goes, I want you to go study something. Go figure out what this means. I would rather be merciful than to do a bunch of stuff in religion. And can I just say this morning, God is more concerned about how I view people and treat people, particularly those who are less fortunate, particularly those who have wronged me. God is more concerned about my response to that than he is about my sermons, than he is about my leadership, than he is about the buildings and the vision and all the other stuff. He, rec- he would rather have mercy than sacrifice. And can I just share that with you? He's more concerned about your heart towards others than he is about your religious activity. Actually, if you'll go to Matthew 12, if you'll let me put Troy's in translation on here, he says in Matthew 12, verse 7, and if you'd have listened to me in verse 9, chapter 9, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you'd have not condemned the guiltless. And again he's saying, don't you guys understand? All this running around all this accusing me for healing a man on the Sabbath. All of this, you guys. He, as a matter of fact, in Matthew 23, verse 23, he just sums it all. He just sort of boils over. And listen to what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. What is that? What are those? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus is talking about you and I instinctively Responding to his mercy by treating others mercifully. But then he's talking about us understanding that part of the kingdom mandate is that we adopt into our life these principles that we're going to live mercifully with other people. Amen. James chapter 2 says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Did you get that? Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown. What is he saying? He's saying this is, the, this is the expectation. Taking these verses and teaching of Jesus, we must make a conscious decision by grace to exercise the discipline of mercy. I told the staff a couple days ago when we were talking about this week, and I said, I'm going to pull out my pocket knife right here, and I'm going to sit down in a chair, and I'm going to whittle on a stick for a minute. So I'm going to do that, all right? Let me give you a few key indicators that you need God's help in this area of mercy. Number one, if you struggle or refuse to receive the mercy of God in your own life. That's, a, that's the fundamental issue. That's a fundamental issue. Sometimes we refuse or we, or we struggle to receive the mercy of God just because we, 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 our faith is so shattered and our life is so messed up, it's hard to believe. And that's where we all ought to be. Actually, I was talking to a man two Saturdays ago, and, and he was there. He said, I just can't even comprehend that God would love me and forgive me. And he was going into great detail about his own rebellion and his 74-year life of absolute sin. But he was saying, I can't believe it. And I said to him, you are at the front door. Because when you can't believe it, and when you can't imagine that God would do it, you're just on the precipice of being able to receive it. But some people wrestle here, and they just can't step across. I, I, I'm dealing with some other folks who are in that place. But, but secondly, sometimes the reason we don't step across is because of spiritual pride, and we just don't think we're that bad. And we can say, Oh, thank God, hallelujah, He saves us. We can sing and we can go all that. But if the truth were known in our heart of hearts, we think we're pretty cool. We don't really see ourselves like Jesus sees us, we don't really understand the weight and the measure of our own iniquity. And if you've never really come face to face with your own sin and your own desperate need for Jesus, you don't know mercy. Isaiah in the, God, in the Old Testament, essentially Isaiah spent five chapters preaching this. Woe is you, woe is you, and 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 you, and, you, and woe is everybody. And then he gets to chapter 6. And he says, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And the seraphims were saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah saw the Lord. And you know what he said? Woe is me. Woe is me. He stopped woeing everybody else and he started saying, oh God, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips because he saw himself in light of God. He saw his sin in light of God's righteousness. He saw his life in light of the great, creative, transcendent, eternal God of the universe. And sometimes we wrestle here because we go through life and what we do is we do what Paul said we shouldn't do. He said, Do not compare yourselves among yourselves. It's unwise. And we say, Well, I'm not as bad. I don't run over people's mailboxes. I'm not as bad as Bradley. I don't do what they do. And we think we're okay because our measuring stick is so small and so wrong that we look all right in this this light. You know? I play basketball with my brother Jeff. I feel like LeBron James. <laughs> Not really. We don't play basketball. We're too afraid to get hurt. You know, I, I can go out here and play horse with some guys that don't know how to play. But I feel pretty good. I go play with my son who's 18. I feel like a fool. It took him to about ninth grade to get there, but he got me. You see, when we compare ourselves, and I'm, I'm okay, but when we see ourselves in light of God, we say, oh, God. I need your mercy. I, the scripture says that our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. And we're gonna, you're, you're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. And we're going to give account of ourselves. And without the mercy of God, which is now extended free to all, without the mercy of God, you will be extinguished into eternal torment. And sometimes we just don't have the mercy because we don't think we need it. And a man, the scripture tells about two men praying, one Pharisee, another a sinner. And the Pharisee was praying, oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as he. And the sinner was over here beating his breast saying, oh, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, I'll tell you whose prayer went to heaven that day. It wasn't the Pharisee. It was the man who said, oh, God, have mercy on me. struggle to refuse to receive the mercy of god secondly we in turn hold grudges and refuse to forgive people who've wronged us we hold people accountable and forever accountable i'm not talking about i'm not talking about irresponsible i'm talking about just being a person who holds grudge we then judge others according to the letter of the law Jesus, you healed somebody on the Sabbath. It says don't do that on the Sabbath. Jesus said you're a hypocrite and you're a Pharisee. We've forgotten the weightier matters of the law. When we treat people with disdain, those who've wronged us and those who are in misery and need it, need our grace. But when we, when we, when we, when we get off on a spiritual technicality, we're, we're forgetting the weightier matters of the law. Often this is accompanied by holding others to a higher standard than ourselves. We then develop a critical or a cynical spirit towards other people. Can I just say this morning, one sign that I'm in desperate need of a fresh outpouring of the mercy of God in my life is when I start griping and criticizing everybody else around me. Jesus helped Pastor Troy this morning. Amen? Amen. Because Jesus said, the first robe you're going to wear when you walk through the door of my kingdom is you're going to be a person of mercy. You're going to see people like I see them. I'm not saying there's no room for growth. And it's, I'm just saying this is, the, this is the attitude and the disposition of the heart that has been transformed by the mercy of God. I talked about that guy on the ramp on the interstate. You know, the Lord forgive me. I'm quick. I know people that are looking for people to job need a job. I know people that if you will show up, don't steal their hammers, pass a drug test, you can do it. And I, I think those thoughts on occasion. You know, I'm not I'm not sovereign, eternal God, right? Oh God, give me a heart to look at that man and say that's somebody's son or that's somebody's daughter who got messed up on drugs or messed up in something or hurt in some terrible situation Lord give me eyes to see them like you, you know Jesus died for that person and I'm not standing here saying this is I'm the epitome of that because I'm a person that believes you ought to do what's right and I can be critical in that regard I'm being, a, I'm confessing before you this morning, you understand but the heart of the believer is someone who doesn't walk around with a critical and a cynical spirit and I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep with them here for a minute because I feel it, alright and some of you are younger and, and, and we want to and, and, and watch it online. You, you may, you, we want to blame our parents and our grandparents and sit around and criticize. And I want to tell you something, I'm young enough to live long enough to watch your kids grow up and do the same thing to you. My parents weren't perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. You need to have mercy and grace and, and, and compassion upon them. Lord, help us this morning. A few indicators, and finally, we need, we become consumed with our own life, and our our heart is becomes unmoved by those in misery. I just want to say before I finish, I just want to say this. I want you to know I love. I hope everybody knows I love you this morning. And and I'm just preaching through the Beatitudes. And I just believe that if the Lord could help us in these areas, help me in these areas. Oh, what a blessing it would be to my life and to my family, right? I scored some brownie points during worship, but uh, what a blessing it would be. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to see them like you see them. You know, uh, I tell you what, let's just say this. Just this one, two, three, let's just say, oh, Jesus, help me. It will feel better. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus, help. Didn't that feel better? But I'm, I'm afraid it'll take a lot more than that for some of us. We need to get on our faces before God and say, Oh God, would you pour your mercy into my life so that I can be a man or a woman who extends it to other people. Finally, this morning, mercy is rewarded by God. This simple verse is accompanied with a profound promise that the merciful unlock the floodgates of mercy in their own lives. Jesus says, In this life, But those who forgive are more blessed. Those who look upon the miserable and the pitiful with compassion are the ones who have the hand of God's blessing upon their life. The book of the book of Proverbs says, he who lendeth to the poor, he who giveth to the poor, lendeth to the Lord. But we we must remember that God is the beginning and the end of mercy. And we might be discouraged this morning in the lack of mercy we're receiving in our life. Let me tell you this morning, mercy isn't instigated with you. And you might be feeling, where's my mercy? Trust me, our mercy is a result of His mercy. And our mercy will result in His eternal mercy. You don't have to avenge yourself. You don't have to set the record straight. You don't have to hold that person accountable for everything they've done. You don't have to go back and get it right. I've wanted to. I'm a hands-on person. And sometimes I want to put my hands on people in a nice Jesus kind of way. You know, where he kicked the tables over in the temple kind of Jesus way. What I'm saying is, I want to fix it. I want to rectify it. I want to make them a pot. I want them to fix it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Just be merciful and I'll take care of you. What I want is I want them to do for me what only Jesus can do for me. Amen? I want them. I want them to give me something that they can't give me. Only Jesus can. And he said, just trust me, you be merciful. And the one who runs the whole merciful mercy spigot will control it and turn some your direction. And you will receive mercy. Somebody this morning in this room needs to let something go. I sense it right now by the Holy Spirit's guidance. I sense that we're wrestling with this. And somebody needs to make a determination this Sunday morning that by the mercy of God, I'm going to release it and let it go. God has the last word when it comes to this thing called mercy. When we stand before God face to face, the people who receive mercy from Him are the people who have been merciful. I think it was John Piper said, when we stand before God, God's not going to ask us for a timesheet that says, here's my eight hours of mercy. He said, that wouldn't be mercy. That would be wages. You'd get paid for wages. He said, what God's going to ask you for is your medical records. He's going to say, let me, see the, let me see your heart. And God's going to look, and in grace, and faith, and humility, and repentance, you have, you have surrendered before the Lord and through the work of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of God's word and the power of Jesus' cross, your heart has been transformed and he's going to say, alright blessed are the merciful now you're going to receive mercy like you've never seen before in your life and can I just tell you that everything we get at the judgment when we are welcomed into the kingdom of God is not a second of our time in heaven will be earned, every moment of it will be because God has decided to be merciful to you and to me amen oh lord help me this morning i don't know about you but there's i'm probably not the only one just do this who with me says i need help in this area just raise your hand i need help in this area pastor troy and i'm with you just stand with me together and let's pray oh oh god we need you this morning i want to do it this way that's I feel led to do it this way. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor Troy, I need God's mercy in my life to deal with this person or this situation or this this thing in my life that I've not been able to get past, and it's because I'm cold towards it or I'm hard to it or I'm callous to it, and I just need to mercy. I need God to open up a can of mercy and pour it into my life and I'm just going to come and seek Him. Would you just step out of your seat as we sing a little chorus? Would you just step out of your seat and join me here at the front and let's just pray together before we go home this morning. Who would be like that to say, you know what, I need God's help this morning in this area and I'm going to step out of the seat and I'm going to come we're going to pray together.
1: For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.